Give the Lord a hand right there. <laughs> right place, right time. Let's talk about this. It's in a series, so I'm not going to go too long uh, about this. I'm just going to give one revelation of, and this is my heart, and it came from uh, a Brian Houston Twitter I read, which said this, right decisions plus right desires with the right spirit put you in at the right place at the right time to fulfill destiny. Did you get that? Right decisions plus right desires with the right spirit put you in the right place at the right time to fulfill destiny. Is that right? And so, Lord really, that really, you know, I read all these Twitters, I'm a Twitter guy. If you want to follow me on Twitter, look at the newsletter, it's fantastic. By the way, getting back to be our guest, that is what you need to have with you, all the timers, all the time, when you go to shopping centers, wherever you go, and then you can just flick one of those, hey, that's where, you know, it's all happening, you know, God can bless you, and they're available at the back of the desk, and you can take a wad of them. Check out, and a good thing I find with people, hey, check out our webpage. There's the address. Shh. Don't go on about Book of Revelations and, you know, the Mark of the Beast and uh, please, you'll kill them and they'll never come to church. God loves you. One of the key things I find with evangelism, looking people in, their, in the eye and somehow saying, not typically, you know, God loves you because uh, that, that could freak people out as well. But hey, man, yeah. It's almost saying, I care for you. You know when people care for you, they'll look in you in the eye, they'll give you some intention of their heart. You know when it's plastic and when it's pretentious and you know when it's real, when someone says, hey man, yeah, you only been here working in the restaurant two days? Wow, gee whiz. Hey, we're just down the road, man. We do a great church. A lot of people about your age too are hanging out and loving life. And Do you know about the modern church, a church like Hillsong and uh, you know where it's all upbeat and colorful? Oh boy, yeah, yeah, band. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, okay, and single people, and, uh, and we're just, you know, just loving God and very enthusiastic about God, but hey, check our webpage out, would you? And uh, it's, a, you know, make your own mind up. You're basically just doing that even much shorter than that, but do you find that easy to do? Do you get embarrassed to hand a card out that says church on it? You know, you should be so confident to give those cards out, knowing that our church rocks. Man, if you, you too were playing here next Sunday, give me the card back. Hey, but, but he, guess what? You too, Bono. He's going to be here, man. I, I, now I need another. Yeah, yeah. You know, Edge, he's going to be here. you got Edge here, man. <laughs> You'd be so confident, wouldn't you? You'd be so confident. Everywhere you went, the shopping center, your workmates that you've been working with for 10 years. Now, guess what? What? Guess what? Bono, he's going to be in our, on our, in our prop, on our property, doing his band. You too? Do you know you too? Oh yeah, man. You serious? Yeah, come. We should be like that with our church. Right place, right time. Help me. Um, I took a photo of Julie, and it was the perfect location. This beautiful light. You're going to love this, Bryce. He's a photographer. We're at Tamworth, and we've got a, an outreach band now. There's a lot to our life, man. There's a lot I haven't told you about our life. We got frustrated with the church in the early 90s and we, it blew out with the frustration of starting a country band. We, went, we ended up at Tamworth with an eight, nine-piece band. Julie was the singer. It was called the Charismatic uh, JT and the Charismatic Cowboys. Julie was JT. 
It was cool. I got roped in there. I don't know how, but uh, it had the best musicians off the coast. We scavenged all the best musicians out of the uh, out of the coast, out of the churches, and we put together a band. We ended up doing some great stuff, but we ended up at Tamworth. The sun was setting in Tamworth one evening, and this sun, it just had that magic look about, it had this magic about, I knew it, Julie was dressed, she had short denim uh, jeans, suntanned, she was looking great. I pulled over on the side of the road, I've got my Olympus camera, and Julie said, what's the matter, what's the matter? I said, this sun, it's, look at it, can't you see it? It's coming over the hill, it's the right place, it's the right time. And it's usually at that point where I get abused by Julie. Come on, what are you, we're busy, but would you just keep going? No, this is it, this is the time. And like all good photographers, they understand there is a certain time. And there is planning to take in a good photo. Is that right, Bryce? There is planning. You just don't bump, bump along. Ken Duncan doesn't bump along and just go, oh, look at that. Yeah, just click. Now, he sets himself up. He waits days, days, hours, gets up early, whatever. Does he not? Katrina, you were his secretary for several years. You know, these guys just don't bump along. I'll take a photo of you. Hey, you stand up there, click. Yeah, good on you. you know, get, no. it's, it's all about planning and being in the right place. So I tell Julie, get out of the car. We run over the road, and we're going up the hill. There's a big tree there. The sun is there. It's bright. It's got that yellowy look. Help me, Bryce. It's got that yellowy look. You know what I'm saying? It's got that setting sun, bright, intensive. She leans up against the tree and, uh, you know, she's got the big cowboy belt and she's got the fingers in the, you know, the thumbs in the pocket there like that. And the sun just grabs her and I, bang, I get it like that. And it's in my office and you're not allowed to look at it. It's too sexy. <laughs> it's too sexy. And... and it's fantastic. I was at the right place at the right time. Uh, surfies would know this. Uh, they would know this. But my, definitely with Jules and I, with the story I told at the start, how we met, we're at the right place at the right time. Broken, back in our hometown. Uh, just, God, what are you saying now? We, we've given up. This is, this is... And I remember reading a book by, and I recommend it to you, by Jensen Franklin, Right People, Right Place, right plan. Get your Bibles out, get them happening at the, just because I'm going to roll through this. Excellent book and it consolidated some of my thinking. And over the years, um, I've used a saying called the rhythm of life. You, you, you heard me say that, the rhythm of life. I believe this, that you can get into a rhythm in obedience to, so let's say true north's out that way. When you're out and we we have this terminology uh, also that you can be out on the back paddocks of life, but when you're in the pasture, in the house of God, in the presence of God, but in God's will and facing true north, there's his light, there's his truth, it's coming at you, you're walking into it. When you're on that journey, following your destiny, being obedient to God, no matter if you're uncomfortable or not comfortable, uh, I mean, or comfortable, you, you're just sort of following God's will. I call that the rhythm of life. And it's seemingly like sometimes you've got green lights, you're meeting the right people at the right time. I found in my life, with jobs especially, that I've been at the right place the right time to meet somebody who gave me a clue of to get employment. Listen to me, young people. Listen to me, people of God. Somehow, I've found myself over the years, how, I've, how myself has been gainfully employed most of my life is this, I've been at the right place at the right time. 
Hey, you looking for a job? Yeah, man. Well, they're taking uh, jobs down here. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. They're not advertising. Oh, no, they're not advertising. But if you go down there, you can be first on the list. Great. Okay. You know what I mean? And, and when we went to North Queensland to get our jobs that were really for one pl- We'd gone to Bowen to work in a coal uh, port uh, and the job had finished and we travelled all the way up there like 16, 18 hours to get up there even 20 hours and they said sorry the jobs are finished I went my god and, and somehow we'd met someone met someone uh, at a roadhouse he said I know where there's a job and we drove out and we secured our job that, um, that blessed us for a year right place right time say that right place right time you you when you seemingly are in the rhythm of life, you find you have favor, opportunity, breakthrough, good friends. You find your wife, you find your husband. You find your best jobs, you get healed. Seemingly in the rhythm of life. When you're out of kilter, do you notice how the, red, the lights always go red? I found this traveling from the Western suburbs to Sydney. Sometimes we would hit every red light, every red light. And then there'd be other times where it's green light. Or, you know, green lights, green lights. Or just doing life. Somehow, you know, things just happen and you know you just can't. Up. You just can't. You're not in the slipstream. You're not in the flow of life. Seemingly things are bugging you and things are holding you up at the wrong, wrong time and you've got no patience. You know when you're out of, the, out of kilter, in a sense, because you just seemingly, like, have no grace. Any little thing gets you upset. Anyone with me on this? Any little thing, you go to use your underarm deodorant and it's empty. Uh, you go to jump in your car, your battery's flat. Uh, and it just compounds. It's like a comedy of errors. Say comedy of errors. It's like a comedy. You go get your hair cut and they cut it wrong. Don't you, don't you hate that? And, 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 and somehow, but when you're in the rhythm of life, somehow you just seemingly are able to do life more effectively. Is that cool? The gift of discernment is probably what we're talking about, and it's discerning the voice of God in our daily life. Uh, this guy, Jensen Franklin, calls our internal compass a feel. For, let's talk about the internal compass. Um, apparently the Chinese invented the compass even before the Bible was written, um, and some clever person with a shard of iron puts it on a leaf, and they worked out every time this leaf floating on water would turn true north, every time. Shard of iron, little fleck of iron, on a leaf, in a little jar, floating on water, and something would pull this leaf around and face it true north every time. They didn't know that was north, but it would face that direction. And then they realized later... I don't know how later, but they realized that there was this internal force in the planet, this magnetic field, am I right, that was creating this, this uh, miraculous um, uh, event. They call it the compass. Uh, before that, explorers and, and people, sailors, would use physical markings to find their way uh, through their journey. Um, but now they could utilize the compass and find their way across the face of the earth. It was phenomenal. 
God has given us an eternal compass in our spirit. When we get saved, when we get saved, our spirit especially comes alive by the power of the Holy Spirit to the voice of God. Do you know what I'm saying? For me, intuitively, as a kid, I think it was because of my upbringing, we had a very strong um, let me moral upbringing, we didn't go to church, but right was right, wrong was wrong, and in me, my conscience was very much alive. I remember being teased as a kid. I said, we've never heard you swear. I just didn't swear because my folks didn't swear. And I, I, it used to grate on me to swear. It took a lot for me to begin to swear. And I'm not going to be a goody two-shoes. Uh, I'm not going to give you this false illusion. I did eventually learn how to swear. I, but I had to work at it. Because one day, the bullies, the older kids, bailed me up said, you don't swear. Say this word. And then two or three of them ganged up on me and said, say this word. And I refused. And so I got my ears boxed and I went away from that uh, moment thinking, my God, I might have to learn how to swear. And so the words just began to come as a language. And, um, but it really grated against me, Luke, to swear. And so what I'm saying, that there was a conscience of good and, and, and uh, right and wrong, good and evil. And in us as born-again believers we have this internal compass which should allow us to walk out our life not by our physical uh, markings, not because of physical stuff, what city you live in, what street, what you know, landmarks, but you are led even through the most strangest places and through the strangest of times and hardships, true north towards God in obedience to Him, where seemingly God is leading you through the crucible of life. But true north is what you need to to believe in, and you need to. And it's discerning God's voice. My sheep know my voice, and they follow. Yeah, yeah. My sheep know my voice, and I say this with making decisions: be very careful of saying yes instantaneously to someone's leadings, because life is made up of decisions. Decisions lead you to your destiny or away from your destiny. And listen, young people especially. The people I used to look after in the boys' home, there was five of these excellent academic uh, sports worthy. They were excellent guys. They were at Oxford. Uh, they were at King's Cross. Someone taken a name uh, off one of the toilets and they invited this homosexual. Things got... And, and these five guys were just going to have, make fun of this guy. Things got carried away. Someone kicked him in the head. He died. Five kids are now in detention center. And I'm looking after them. And I'm thinking, what are these guys? They're just too good. They're at the right, wrong place at the wrong time. Wrong place. And that's what they said to me. So what are you doing here? We're at the wrong place at the wrong time. Wow. And they had to serve five, six, seven, eight years uh, so, it's the same as born-again believers. We need to have discernment. And so I need to give you a couple of scriptures. Okay, here we go. 
I'm not going to go too long. I've, I've spoken a lot already. We talk about having a faculty, an inner eternal force. When you're saved, I believe that you've been given the gift of the faculty of faith. A faculty in the dictionary says this, one of the powers of the mind as a memory, reason, or speech. Uh, and you heard the saying, he is in full possession of all his faculties. Uh, and it's so true. A fa- your faculties is what allow you to live a healthy uh, and a, a decent life in the sense of reading things properly and walking out your days. And so I believe this, that we have a faculty of faith which navigates us through the stormy seas, through the grey times, through the hardships, that faculty of faith allows you to hear the voice of God. Do you know what I'm saying? When you can hear the voice of God, you can make appropriate decisions that allow you to set your course for Jesus. Um, Let's have a look at this. We might just get this done and that'll be it. Um, Let's go back to the Garden of Eden and in the very beginning... And, of course, you know it started well. Adam and Eve were not alone in the garden and Satan slithered in and immediately went to driving a wedge between the man and the woman, but driving a wedge between man and woman and God. And you can see this in Genesis 3.1. Have you got that, guys? And now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say... Did God, can you see that? Did God really say? Did God really say? And straight there you can see that uh, he's already trying to separate God's people from the voice of God. The, The key here is that Satan has tried and has succeeded in separating us from the voice of God. Okay? Now, let's go to Genesis 3, 5. You know the rest of the story. Satan said... For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Does that sound strange to you? They were already like God. Adam and Eve were like God. They were made in the image of God. But he's saying, if you eat of this apple, this tree of good and evil, if you eat of that, you will be like God. How many young people do you know trying to be someone else, trying to, you know, uh, please someone else by being someone else when God said, I made you to be you. Just be you. And Satan is trying to say to us, I will give you, I will, and he's trying to lead us. And he's trying to instruct us on being someone else. And did God really say to go to church, to read your Bible, to get saved? Did God really say to be obedient, to do this, to be there, to serve? to love God, whatever it is. Satan is always saying that, don't you think? He's always saying, did God really say? We just had a guy uh, fall out of the church and he's saying, now I'm not sure if I believe in Jesus. He's actually, he's actually picking up on that scripture where it says, did God really say that Jesus Christ is Lord? That he's the only way to heaven? Yes, he did. Um. He would like, I love this, he would like nothing better than to suggest the direction of your life. He will tell you that you have to be someone else, someone other than who God wants you to be. Why else would he suggest to Eve that she could be like God, implying that Eve was not already made in the image of God? Perhaps this is why so many people spend their lives trying to impress others by being something 
that they are not. And guess what happened? You know the story. God comes back into the garden. They hid. They hid from the voice of God. They hid from the voice of God. And you can see this uh, in Exodus. And you can see it right through the Old Testament. But in this classic story, God spoke with Moses in in Exodus 20, verse 19. God spoke with Moses through a, a burning bush and later dictated the Ten Commandments, complete with fire and smoke. And Scripture says that people trembled and told Moses, you speak with him. This is God's people saying to Moses, you speak to him. Don't let him speak to us because Satan had worked his, his uh, delusion upon mankind by saying, if God speaks to you, Luke, he's going to kill you. He's going to kill your joy. He's going to kill your life. He's going to kill your fun. You're not going to have... If you listen to God, you, you're going to have no fun. You, 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 he's going to upset your career, your life, your surfing, your marriage. You know, if you, And this is what God's people were actually saying. They were saying to Moses, you go listen to him. We don't want to hear him. If we hear him straight up, he'll kill us. His instruction, his voice will kill us. And that is a fallacy. And you can see how well Satan's plan was working. Man, man went from speaking with God in the garden and being, and being with him to being afraid of his voice. Satan had perverted man's relationship with God that they thought the very sound of his voice would kill them. And it's exactly the same today. People um, dodge and weave and say, I'm not coming to church. God will speak to me. Uh, I'm not going to become, I'm not going to get saved. Look, I know what that means. I've got to be brutally honest with God. I don't want that. I want to run my own show. It's such a shame too. Um, Matthew 3, 3. Thank you, guys. Eventually, the silence was broken. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And the book of John, Gospel of John, John 1, 1 says, and it leaves no doubt as God is ready to speak. So we had this 400... uh, Years of silence, didn't we, God? Uh, God's trying to speak to his people. It's a love-hate relationship all through the Old Testament. Then God says, right, I've had enough. If you don't want to know about me, well, I'm going to let you wait. And, and so for 400 years, silence. Has anyone ever felt that silence in, in their life? Yeah. Just sort of, where, God, where are you? And then one one crying in the wilderness, John the Baptist. He's crying out. Matthew, Matthew 3, 3. But then John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he... Because, see, the Scriptures stopped. The script, in Malachi, the Scriptures stopped. The voice of God stopped. 400 years of silence. But then, then God says, Now I'm going to send the Word in flesh, in person. And he's going to speak. He's going to do. He's going to speak to the storm and still it. He's going to speak to Lazarus and Lazarus is going to come out of the grave. He's going to speak to the fig tree and the fig tree is going to die. The voice of God is the same voice that God wants to give you. You have a voice. And Satan says, you don't have a voice. You don't need to listen to to God's voice especially. But what... And, but Jesus, when the disciples said, man, you cursed the fig tree and the fig tree died. 
Matthew 21, 21 says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. It was official. It was official. Not only was God's voice active again, but it was also free to work within and through the lives of those who called upon him. God was not finished yet. God was about to restart his great plan to re-establish his voice across the face of the earth. Don't you love it? And so that, okay, let's round it up here. We need to discover that eternal compass within us. We need to discover that internal um, discernment of heart, of spirit, that faculty of faith that says, I hear God in that. That's the way. I hear God in that. That's not the way. God's always trying to lead us and guide us and instruct us. God's always trying to tell us something. That's why I say this. With any decision, especially major, buying a house, buying a car, but going somewhere even, doing something, someone says, let's go here. Oh, yeah, let's do it. And then you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You ever felt that? People have had accidents, been killed for being in, and, and the parents say, I don't know what my boy was doing in that car. They should have been here, but they were there. And I believe God has assigned each one of us to be in a place, not wandering, but in a pasture, in, in a place of belonging where seemingly you can, almost when you go into that church, you can get your compass out. If you could take your compass out, out of your heart and go, yeah, oh, that man, what was I doing this week? True north there. Yeah, I can hear what Pastor Phil's saying. I can hear what the voice of God's saying. I can hear what the word of God's saying. True North Sea, man, what was I doing? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I just ruined those days. I, found, I, I, I was somewhere else other than in God's will. I believe the magnetic, I'm getting this on the run now, I, I believe the magnetic field on the spiritual compass of your life is so intensified in the house of God, when you come to that house, He blesses your spirit, He invigorates your spirit, your spirit comes alive, and all of a sudden, you can see again. Your eyes are open. You can discern what God's will is. People who miss out on church, things get vague, strangely dim. They, 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 they get scales on their eyes. They get lost to the physical markings of the world. They start looking at their bills. They start looking at their, their physical situation. And then they, they start to grope around like blind people. And, and then they come to church and then they then they can see like that blind man who could see only just very... I, I could see something, the blind man said. It's like, I, I can't see, but it's like a forest. Uh, help me. And all of a sudden, ah, then he can see. Don't underestimate how the enemy can blind you. Don't underestimate how he can cause your senses to be dull. Dull. Too much sleep will dull your senses. Too much idleness will dull you. you got to move in God. Too much television. How can you discern God's voice? I'm nearly done. How can you discern the real from the counterfeit? There's three places where you hear your voice from. Three places. One is of your... Another one is from your friends. One is from the enemy. And another one is from God. Four. I always used to quote three, didn't I? But I put friends in now. Thank you, Jansen Franklin. 
put friends in. Because friends, if some strong figure came into my life and said, Phil, I want you to go there. If it was someone I admired and, and felt, you know, that, that I honoured them, I would be really compelled to do what they say. Uh, everyone, everyone is prone to peer pressure. Do you know what I mean? Everyone. If, if I don't, can't give an example, but if someone who I really, you know, appreciate and honoured and uh, if they said, look, I want you to be there one o'clock tomorrow morning, uh, I mean, tomorrow afternoon, uh, could you be there? Would you be there? Can you be there? Gee whiz, okay, they're fairly persuasive. They really want me there and it's got to be good. Must be good. Can be good. Would be good. Could be good. Could he, would he, could he. But you've got to pull up right there, friend. And you've got to look at your internal compass. And you've got to say, because this Christian life sometimes has you turning out of a crowd and going this way. There's all your friends, man. Hang on, where's he going? Oh, he doesn't want to play. He, he's, he's got something to do. He's following his inner convictions. He's following his inner eternal compass. Oh, man. What, what? Oh, he, he's going to be a leader one day, that kid. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not a sheep. He doesn't just go with the... No, he's got leadership, man. He's going to be a strong leader. That's what strong leaders are. Strongest leaders are people that will turn out of a football field of people saying, it's this way, and they will turn. Tony Blair, John Howard, people like that will turn and they'll say, no, we're going this way. Churchill, Winston Churchill, he, he was mocked, ridiculed. As a politician, he was done for, but he stood in the mix of it and he said, well, these are my convictions. This is my eternal compass. This is my, in, in, this is my convictions, my true north, this way. And all his peers... All the heavyweight politicians saying, this guy's crazy. He's a great guy, but he is, he, is, he, he is sabotaging his own career. And so he turns this way. And at the end, he ends up in this place, standing on this sacred ground of his inner convictions. And he believes what God was saying to his life. If you read his memoirs, he believes he was set up by God to lead England out of that catastrophe of being invaded and defeated. One man... Not any, hardly anyone was around him. Hardly anyone was around him. Churchill was standing as one man for a whole nation saying, saying, we gotta fight. Never, 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 never give up. Never. One man crying out like John the Baptist, crying out, never, never will this world go to hell. The Savior is coming. Repent, repent. It's a bit like that. It's not for losers, Christianity. It's not for losers. It's for gutsy, determined believers following an internal compass for true north. How can, how can you define what, um, the difference between the real and the counterfeit? There's some guy that wrote a book. He used to work in the, um, uh, the, uh, the state treasury uh, in America deciphering between the counterfeit notes. And there was a movie about that, wasn't there? And uh, he said, what you've got to do is you've got to feel for the real, for hours, for days. Feel the real notes. Feel the real. So what are we saying in that? Get your Bible. Feel the real. Pray to God. Bible instruction. Prayer. Focus on God. Walking in His presence. Feel the real. Feel the real. That's real. That's counterfeit. 
That's real. That's counterfeit. That's real. My sheep know my voice and they follow. Let's all stand. God bless you. Thank you, Father. These are days of deception. Uh, these are days of uh, to, be, um, to be cut in on. Galatians says, who cut, cut in on you? You were running a good race. Father, we stand before you now. Maybe you just want to acknowledge God and say to him, Lord, I want to activate your voice by the power of your Holy Spirit in my life. Let's pray right now. Lord God, I'm praying that I would become discerning by the power of your Spirit. My eternal compass will lead me, guide me, protect me, my family, my career, my finances. Lord, I need divine guidance. This world is a wicked world. It's very confusing. And, but Lord, you've given me a sure way. You've given me the way. You've given me the true north. Lord, you said you gave me the anointing. First uh, John 2.20 says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Listen, guys, all believers have the anointing, a spiritual touch of God that provides them with remarkable insight through the Holy Spirit from whom flows all the gifts, the graces, the superior knowledge of God. You have inside information on what God's will is. You have inside information on what God's will is. Trust your inner voice of discernment. Apply discernment to every day of your life. And you will make a profound difference to your friends, your family, your church. This is probably the most important life lesson in your, in your life, following the voice of God. Acts 17, 27, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of you. For in Him we live and move and have our being. Lord, give us a feel for Your voice. Let us know between the genuine and the counterfeit. Let us have a feel for the real. As we spend time with You in prayer and studying Your Word, we want to develop a feel for the voice of God.